Some of you didn't think that we were going to make it here as uh, we started this year, 2017, with a sermon series that we entitled, I entitled, um, The Expectant Church, and for us to look at the seven letters to the church in the book of Revelation, and then the one church, the Antioch church, in the book of Acts, where we will be today. Um, I was not here this past Sunday, as uh, you know, but where I was, let me just share where, where uh, Paige and I, um, where we were last week. Uh, last weekend, we uh, went down to University of Mississippi Law Center and spent a whole weekend there to go through uh, what is called PATH classes for foster care. Um, we have tried for about two years now to uh, um, get in the foster care system, and it seemed like no Tuesday night, 12 of them in a row, we could get there, and the ones that we needed weren't coming back up for another five or six months, and so this came up, and uh, we went down there. And uh, had a great weekend, a long weekend, but a great weekend. And uh, we will finish our series today as we look in Acts chapter 11 and Acts chapter 13. Um, both of those chapters have verses and passages on the church at Antioch. But let me, let me draw our attention and our focus and remembrance of where we've been. Very quickly, just want to give you a reminder of where we have traveled over the past two months, those first two months of 2017. We saw the church at Ephesus. Ephesus was a careless church. Jesus described them as a church who left their first love. And we spoke about not being a careless church, but that we needed to be a careful church. That, we, that our focus and our, and our love, our attention needed to be on the one who was important, i.e. Jesus. Second week, second church that we looked at was that of Smyrna. And there was nothing bad sp stated about Smyrna. They were persecuted, and we were reminded that if we are walking where Jesus wants us to walk, and if we're doing the things that he wants us to do, this world will hate us just as it hated him. This world will persecute us just as it persecuted followers of his of yesteryear, like those in Smyrna. Pergamum was a church that compromised and that we were not to be a compromising church or even like that of Thyatira, that we were not to be a corrupt church, but we were to be consistent. We were to be correct in the way that we thought our orthodoxy and also our orthopraxy, how we thought and our belief system and then how that was lived out in a practical way each and every day. Then we came back and we saw that of Sardis. They were broken. They were broken for the wrong reason. That we desired to be broken for the right reason. Desired to be broken, humbled before our great king. Then we saw Philadelphia. They were a dependent church. There was nothing negative stated about them either. And uh, there was some opportunities. There were some open doors of ministry for them. I challenged you and I challenged our connect groups to uh, think about what are five 
opportunities, doors that are open in our community and how we might could find one of those in each of those groups and as families and individuals to be about God's ministry. The door is open. You and I should walk through it and we should find ourselves in ministry. And then finally, a couple of weeks ago, we saw that church of Laodicea. They were foolish. Yet we know that we should not be foolish, but we should desire and we should be faithful. The challenge that is there for us today. This morning, I want us to look in Acts chapter 11 and Acts chapter 13. And I want to talk to you about the church at Antioch. And I'm going to read the passages um, for us in just a moment, starting in verse 19 of Acts chapter 11. And then the first three verses, I know it says five there, but I'm just going to read the first three verses of Acts chapter 13. And as I read it, here's what I want you to think about. Here's what I, I want you to focus in on. Because here is a church, a church who's got it right. A church who is living out exactly what Jesus desires for his church to live out. For you see in Acts chapter 11, through the end of the book, the second half of the book of Acts, this is the focus church. This is where all ministry is happening. It, it is being sent out from this one church. It's the third largest city in the Roman Empire. Over a half million people living in Antioch. After Stephen's death in Jerusalem, persecution went out in that region and believers scattered all throughout the region and a number of those scattered to Antioch. And not just those from Jerusalem as we see, but even others from all around who had become believers in Christ are now Finding, calling Antioch home. And as they call it home, they begin to live. And as they begin to live, they begin to minister. And the church is growing. And so I want you to think about, I want you to see the different components that are here in Antioch. And see, why in the world, ask the question, why in the world is God blessing this body the way that he is blessing? And how? Can we, in 2017, receive some of these same blessings and be used in the same and similar fashion as this great church? So I'm going to start in verse 19 of Acts chapter 11, then I'll end over in chapter 13, verse number 3. It states this as Luke records about the church at Antioch. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, they traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. But, verse 20 states, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also preaching the Lord Jesus. 
And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. That's a great combination, just to let you know. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, i.e. Paul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. And here's an example of something that happened in verse 27. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. And this took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, those in Antioch, they determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Chapter 13, verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, would you allow us to see clearly today the three truths about this church? Father, three truths that, that you desire for us to live out. For us to, to understand. Lord, yes, there is some tension, and we'll talk about that. But Father, that that, that tension is not a bad thing. That tension is, is a God thing. And because of those tensions, Lord, that you would, that we would just rest in you. Father, it's easy to uh, just look at the surface of this passage and move on. God, there, there is some great nuggets, even at the surface. But Father, might we wrestle a little this morning. With this church. God might we wrestle with it as individuals. As men and women. As boys and girls. Might we wrestle with it as your body. Your bride. 
for your name and for your glory's sake. God, you are good. We thank you for loving us, for making a way that we might love you and might have a right relationship with you through your precious Son. Father, we ask it in his name, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you look at this church, and where I'm going to jump off and where we're going to come back to is that of chapter 13, and I'll use chapter 11 and that portion or that passage to give some illustration and try to explain what is going on in chapter 13 at Antioch, but our main focal point will be that of verses 1 through 3 in chapter 13, and it states this. Let me read it one more time. Now there, we're in the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Manaen, Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Truth number one. Definite roles in the church breathes life in the body. Definite roles in this church, the church at Antioch and this church, River Bend, breathes life in the body. Do you see a couple of the roles there in verse in chapter 13 verse 1 and also back up into chapter 11 verse number 26 27 now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Prophets and teachers. Prophets always taught, but teachers did not always prophesy. Prophets were able to teach, but teachers weren't necessarily gifted as prophets. One of the examples in chapter 11 verse number 27 was a prophet by the name of Agabus. He came... It says that he came down from Jerusalem, but if you look on a map, he went up. I mean, this Antioch was Antioch in Syria. It was 300 miles north of Jerusalem. So why in the world, every time does it say that they went down from Jerusalem? No matter if it was going north, south, east, or west, they were always going down. And the reason for that is that the Jews, the Hebrews, believed that Mount Zion in Jerusalem was the highest place. It was the most important place, and so if you left that, you were going down. And they went down for 300 miles, even though they went north, so they, they went down. Maybe sometimes you say, hey, I'm going down to my parents' house, and you're going to Kentucky. I mean, you, geographically, you are challenged, but maybe you're right, because you're biblically right. Maybe, I, I don't know. But they went from Jerusalem in chapter 11, Agabus did, up to, down to Antioch, and he foretold. So prophets foretell things that are going to happen. And all of Scripture 
prophets who are foretelling events that are coming, foretelling events that have not happened yet but that are going to happen or that have happened by now is about 5 or 6% of all of what the prophets say. But prophets are used by God to foretell events and items and things that he is going to do. Like, hey, I'm going to send a famine. And that famine took place in the time of Claudius, an emperor of Rome. But most of the time, prophets foretell. They foretell of things that God has done. They foretell of things that God has already laid out and for God's people to adhere to at that moment and continual moments. Similar gifts that teachers do. But there was a definitive gift set for prophets. There was a definitive gift set for teachers. And then if you go back into chapter 11, you see another set of people. And they are the disciples. And in that statement, that's not just the 11 with Judas Iscariot now taken out. No, that is every follower Every believer, every man, woman, boy, and girl who have bowed the knee and confessed with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, these disciples were growing, these disciples were there, and they were maturing in their faith. But these definitive roles, roles like prophets, roles like teachers, if you go back to Acts chapter 6, there were other um, roles that are recorded of a different church. In Acts chapter 6, the role of deacon is spoken to of the church in Jerusalem. And the reason I bring that up is because we are about to be 10 years old. I'm going to tell you that in announcements, so there's a pre-announcement for you. that We're going to have a, uh, a time where we are going to celebrate our 10th birthday, the end of April. And I can't wait for that. Um, It's going to be a great day, remembering from 10 years back all this stuff. But multiple times in our history, short 10-year history, we have sought on varying levels to bring about the role of deacon. And for whatever reason, we have not as of yet. But guess what? We're going to. And what I'm asking for you is to begin praying. Praying that God would rise up, that He would raise up those with that gift set, those with that servant's heart, those who would take that role and use it for His name. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Manaean, and Saul. I was thinking about this. I was reading. uh, It's been a couple of weeks since I was at the end of Genesis. And I've never thought of Jacob before as a prophet. You ever thought of Jacob? I just don't think of Jacob being a prophet, but Jacob was a prophet. Jacob was an awesome prophet. 
Jacob, as he is about to die, it's a neat verse at the end of the book of Genesis, and he is about to die, he brings in all 12 of his boys. And he just starts calling a spade a spade. He's like, hey, you Judah, eh, you did wrong. Dan, you did wrong. Here's what's going to happen to you, Asher. Here's all, all 12 of them. He brought them in front of him, and he said, here is your blessing. Some of it was more like curses, but here's your blessing. And then here's the verse that just stuck out at me. And after he got through his 12th son, Scripture states that he drew his legs up in the bed and died. Those were his last words. His last words were speaking blessing on the twelve. Here's what's going to happen to you. Hundreds of years from now, your descendants, Issachar, are going to take this section of land. Hey, Benjamin, hundreds of years from now, here's what's going to happen. Here is how you are going to be known. And he was spot on. How did he know that? Because he was a prophet. And God allowed him to see out into the future and speak that into the life of those sons. There were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, son of encouragement. Simeon, who had the nickname Niger, which is black. Lucius of Cyrene, probably one of the first people who came to Antioch, if you look back in chapter 11, there were these men of Cyprus and also of Cyrene. Some even believe that Simeon was also from Cyrene and that he was the one who carried Jesus' cross when Jesus fell going up to Golgotha. But these men... Their lives had been changed. These men were surrendered to the Lord and they were speaking what God had for them to say. Definitive roles. But not, not only that, man, i got to hurry. I'm going to preach like Wade. Not only that, this is good. Y'all need this. Y'all need this. Not only that, but you look at the church at Antioch. It was a multi-ethnic church. You see that? There's these folks from Cyrene. There are folks that were scattered from Jerusalem. There is this man by the name of Menean. We, we don't know much about him other than uh, some translations state that he was a lifelong friend or he was the stepbrother of Herod the Tetrarch. Who is Herod the Tetrarch? He was the great ruler of Jerusalem and of Israel that uh, just loved John the Baptist so much he beheaded him. He was an upper-class royal, and here is this guy who is in the church at Antioch and one of the leaders as the prophets and teachers. And also we find the one who called out to the high priest, begging them to allow him to go throughout Jerusalem and even up to Damascus to pull those disciples into prison and even to death, now being used by Almighty God some ten years later to speak truth into a church by the name of Saul there at Antioch. Definitive roles in the church breathes life. But second, let's see this quickly. Worship brings fuel for ministry to continue. Worship 
brings fuel for ministry to continue. There in verse 2 and 3, it says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Hey, set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And after fasting and after praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them out. Worship fuels ministry. It's very simple. And it leads us to the third point very quickly, that this simple obedience, hey, take Barnabas, take Saul, and send them out to what I've called them to. Put your hands on them and send them out. This simple obedience funnels ministry in a proper direction. What was the ministry? First and foremost, it was worship. Now, I'm, I know our culture is different than their culture. I know that some 2,000 years later, we have different things going on in our life that they had in their life. I understand that. But what you and I must understand, that God's Word doesn't change. It, it ruled in the Roman world. It ruled in the Middle Ages. It ruled as expansion was happening with Europe. It rules today. No matter the generation, no matter the state, no matter the moment, no matter the year, God's Word stands. And here's the truth. Simple obedience from you. Simple obedience from me. Funnels, directs us in the right direction. They were worshiping the Lord. As we sang this morning, Song after song after song, lyric after lyric, speaking the great names of God, reminding me of how great He is, reminding me of how often my lips sing words that my thoughts and my words and my actions on a daily basis don't add up. Crying out to Him literally and figuratively. God, thank You for how great You are. God, forgive me for when I don't live knowing that. Simple obedience. Of fasting. John Piper stole a quote from Richard Foster. He actually uh, stated that he got it from there. But here's what Foster stated, and here's what Piper added to. He said, Fasting is the exclamation point, an exclamation point, the exclamation point at the end of this sentence. Lord, I need you. Exclamation point. That's fasting. I long for you. I want you. You're my treasure. I want more of you. Oh, for the day of your return. Maranatha, which is come, Lord Jesus, come. Fasting 
shows your desire for those words not to just be statements, but to be emphatic statements of your life. In other places, Piper has stated this about fasting, that fasting is you stating that you want more of God or that you are desiring to stop the tide of this world from overtaking you. Fasting brings that about. It brings a dependence upon Almighty God in your life and in my life. And you and I, without His Spirit, we hate it. We hate it because every four hours, if not sooner, our stomachs growl and we think they need to be filled. We hate it because we don't like to discipline ourselves to push away the things of this world and yearn for something so much more. Yet that is what was taking place in Antioch. In Antioch, they mourned. They yearned for more. And when you and I yearn for more, simple obedience. God's hand will move in mighty ways. I want to close this morning talking about this phrase. If you look back in chapter 11, verse number 29 and verse number 30, it states this. After they were told about the famine that was coming, it states this. The disciples determined, those, those in Antioch, the followers of Christ in Antioch, the disciples determined everyone according to his ability that they would send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Sermon's over, so this is for free. Numbers of people come up to me and say, hey, Brian, how am I supposed to give? The one that I really like has happened multiple times over. They say, Brian, do I need to tithe on gross or net? And without waiting a second, I say, do you want to be blessed on gross or net? But it's more than that. You know what this passage taught me as I was studying it over the last couple of weeks? This passage taught me that you and I are to give to our ability. We're to give to our ability. Some of your ability, some of my ability is that we're to give tens. And your ability and my ability, some of us are to give hundreds. And your ability and my ability, some of us are to give thousands. And when you have the ability to give a thousand, and I have the ability to give a thousand, and you give a hundred, and I give a hundred, that's wrong. That's called sin. And when you have the ability to give a hundred, and you give ten, or I give ten, or I give one, 
or you give one, it's wrong. And it's not just finances that we're speaking of. When you give your time, your leftover time, when I give my time, my leftover time, instead of my first fruits, God says that that's wrong. You and I are to give to our ability. You and I are to be a part of a body of believers, the church. And we're to say, you know what? With all of its warts, and yeah, that sorry preacher, Brian Tillman, I'm a part of the body. And the body is Christ. And I'm a part of it. And I'm going to give. I'm going to give of my ability. I'm going to give of the spiritual gifts that God has given me, and I'm going to give it for His glory in simple obedience. And I'm going to see Him move. That's the example. That's drawing the expectant church series up in a bow as a gift and saying, here's what it means. DeSoto Countyan. Here's what it means, Tate Countyan. Here's what it means, River Bend, to be an expectant church. One who is careful and consistent and correct. One who is willing to be persecuted. One who is faithful. One who sees the opportunity and walks in it. And one who will obey. Whatever it is. Simple obedience. That's an expectant church. That's the church that Jesus died for. That's the church that I desire to pastor. That's the church that I want to be a part of. And that's the church that you and I have the opportunity to be. Today. Right now. And where you live and where you work. When you do that and I do that. We'll be like the folks at Antioch. And they will call us Christian. Now they meant it in a derogatory way. But they will call us Christian. Why? Because we're living like Him. We're looking like Him. We're smelling like Him. We are just like Him because we're surrendered and obedient to Him. Are we there yet? Some moments. And a lot of moments, no. Some moments in your day, some moments in your week, you're exactly there and I'm exactly there. And some moments, and if you're like me, it's like that next moment. It's not just... Like I was with him on Monday and then Thursday afternoon something happened. No, it's like that next moment. It's like, where did it go? Why? Why did that thought, why did those words, why did that tone, why did those actions come right then? Oh, that you and I would be like the church at Antioch. Heavenly Father, we come. God, we come knowing, 
God, just as we sang a moment ago, that you are stronger. God, I had to confess that if I truly believe that, if I truly believe that, my week would have been different last week. God, I know it intellectually, and yes, there are moments of my day and moments of my week where I know it experientially, that I experience that you are stronger. God, there are lapses with me. And thank you once again for showing me, for reminding me that you are stronger. And God, that you can take care of anything that I come in contact with today. River Bend, he desires for you and he desires for me to bow before him. He desires for you and for me to just obey him. It's not rocket science. It is black and white. It's just, it's right there in front of us. There's no secrets. Just obey him, Brian. Just obey him, sir. And he will move. The invitation is for every single one of us to come face to face with him. If you don't know him as Savior and Lord, let me introduce him to you. He is an awesome God. If you know Him, if you've surrendered your life, you've bowed your knee to Him, why don't you come back? Why don't you set aside today? Why don't you set aside a day this week, multiple days this week, to just fast, pray, seek Him first? Father, would you move? Would you continue to move in me, in us, and bring glory to your name? Stand and join us as we sing. The altar is always open. If you want me to pray with you, I'll be more than happy to. But you respond back to him as we sing.